Welcome to Coffee and Therapy, where we spill the tea on therapy-related topics, sip our favorite coffee, and share our expertise with parents, professionals, clinicians, and anyone who could benefit from a little therapy. Welcome back to Coffee and Therapy. Uh oh, Noah's yawning. She needs more <laughs> <Bo>. or therapy. <laughs> I'm like, both. <laughs> yes. And as you can hear, it's me, Alyssa, Noah, and Courtney. Hey. Yes. Woo. I don't know what order the episodes we recorded today are coming out in. So you get some some sprosodes, half brews with different members yeah. of the Therapy. Yeah team which i think is fun coordinating for schedules yeah, is hard we were talking it. about that yeah. you know the fact that we've had four of us on so it many is. episodes is like props props seriously it's awesome mm-hmm. yeah mind-blowing yeah pretty impressive we work hard to make it happen for you and we're brainstorming future ideas and resources and Bruin. websites and it's things Bruin. coming so i make zero promises oh, yeah, on no. any sort of no. timeline no. <laughs> it's brewing <laughs> those those beans are growing far away in a field yes. to be then harvested for coffee we have you know it's just we planted the seed so yes. the full fruition of a full brew is and that whatever timeline it takes it's also <laughs> brewing you know, Bruna third pregnant, kid, you know, <laughs> with we have other stuff going on, yes. right? Like it, it doesn't matter what, human. what label or title you subscribe to. You know, being any kind of oh, sure. working person, and I'll let you define working however you'd like. It's taxing. It takes up all of your takes up all of your weekdays usually, or whatever your five day calendar is. It takes up most mm-hmm. of your waking hours. I mean, it's it's tough to squeeze in anything outside of your daily routine. So I'm proud of us for just sticking to this and creating this as a routine for ourselves because that's where we are. We're doing it. We're doing the thing. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's accountability too. I think we, we are people (laughs) who are accountability buddies. I think I'm an upholder. I don't know if you know the Gretchen Rubin. Yeah. Yeah. I think we've upholder obliger rebel questioner Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so I'm an upholder if I set a goal for myself I'm gonna meet it because I don't want to disappoint myself I suspect Noah you're also an upholder Courtney you are definitely part upholder I think for personal things like for the fun and stuff and for family you're absolutely Uh. an upholder I think for work-based things, you're an obliger. That if someone else says, I need you to be there, you're like, all right, I'm there. Oh, I, will, yes. I will be there because I don't want to disappoint you. <laughs> yes, you know? disappointing yes. is yes. Yes, yes. Like, like you would be more me. disappointed by disappointing someone else, else she, than yourself. Are you an Enneagram yes. too? Are you an Enneagram Like if you disappoint too, yourself, yeah, you're like, yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, then that checks you out. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but, but you like, have a nine and one partner. Yeah. Yeah. And mm. I have a nine wing one partner. Yes, That's I know. Good. That's yes. good for you it's guys. So it's so crazy. Crazy. That's awesome. Yeah, I know. Crazy. It is. Balance. It is. Balances us. Yes. Yes. Yeah. If you don't know Very, Enneagram, yeah. I guess we can like link an Enneagram test. Yeah. Um, but I would presume most people <laughs> know the Enneagram, but maybe not. Mm-hmm. Check you it don't. Out. No judgment. Check it out. Yeah. Um, I know. 
but definitely tells you a lot about out. yourself yeah, and how cool. you attract with well, the world and, and what kinda... types of partners yes. or close friends or people within your circle really help to support you and and bring out the parts of yourself that you are most proud of and what personality types might really kind of suck the energy out mm. of you and be a really negative influence in your in your life so it's a great self-awareness tool I really like it and I think it's something that's important when we're even talking about today's episode about being respected as therapists in the field and approaching conversations across a variety of modalities of therapy with parents with educators that when you understand maybe your type someone else's type their leadership style their reception of information style can really help have those conversations. I think the hardest part of business ownership that Noah and I have been reflecting on recently is leadership, right? Leadership is hard because you're managing humans that are different people. Respect from others, these conversations with others, trying to advance our fields forward is leadership that you have to really understand who you are, who the people that you're representing are, right? As music therapists, which I can't represent all 10,000 music therapists. We're all so different. But, you know, what are our core identities when we're approaching situations to show and ask for that respect across those areas? I think knowing how you show up in those interactions is critical and being able to if you know these types of styles, right, of the Gretchen Rubin tendencies, the Enneagram, your Colby index. We talked about this on what, a year ago, the episode of supervision yeah. of talking about how, yeah, I make yeah. my team or oh, I, yeah, I requested my team. Yeah, to do these <laughs> tests so that I understand how they're showing up because that directly informs how I show up to our meetings and to problems that naturally arise, right? Life, mm-hmm. life has bumps in the road. So it's also to be a strong, effective leader, you have to sort of say, okay, I'm assessing what personality types these people in the room might be unconsciously based on some responses and shape shifting into who, what parts of you are going to best be received by that person. I think Mm. to be respected, we have to authentically be ourselves. We also have to know how someone's going to maybe receive the package we're delivering to them. We have to change the wrapping on that, if you will. And that, Um, that I think can be really daunting. I think what works really well, if you are a therapist as well, is so much of our training and so much of our day-to-day work is guided by needing to be flexible, needing to be able to read the room, being able to change and adapt what we're doing to meet what's happening environmentally. So what I would say to anyone who's listening to this and saying like, oh, this just seems really daunting. I hope they tell me exactly what to do. We're not going to tell you exactly what to do because it's <laughs> it's so, it's just, it's just, it's so individualized. I think yeah. what really we have to focus in on is to receive respect. We have to also be putting it out there to create a, an environment of reciprocal respect is mm-hmm. grounded in doing the work for ourselves first to understand yes. who we are, what do I bring to the table, what is triggering for me, 
And when we start with ourselves as that foundation, we can then, like Alyssa's saying, whether it's through personality tests or even through the different personalities of friends or family that we that we are close with and have these these ongoing relationships with, being able to navigate and understand who they are and what's meaningful to them and what's triggering for them and almost use those relationships as a as a place to practice maybe some of those different types of conversational strategies or approaches. Because I think that with with then talking about how do we receive respect in our field, that means we're probably talking to other people within our field, other people within related fields. So there is not that level of closeness that you would have with a friend, right? Someone that you choose to keep in your circle, someone whose family, which you may or may, may or may not choose to have in your circle, but you likely have some frequent level of interaction with. So there's, there's a bit of that distance so practicing in those spheres where you feel comfortable, maybe it's even with your your significant other or your partner, right? That's going to really position you to head into these situations with more confidence. Mm-hmm. And when we're confident in what we're doing and what we're saying, we can, even if we have to speak to someone who lives their lives very differently, if you know who you are what your core values are and what guide your decision-making processes, you can still find a way to speak the language of someone else, knowing that you are authentically representing yourself and all along the way, figuring out how that person is going to best receive that information, again, from those practice trials in your different circles. Ooh, that was so And I think having, right, that baseline of respect for others is key. Um, and Courtney told us something fascinating before we hit record about, <laughs> oh, ma'am, no, you're not joining this conversation of I. So one of the things I was taught a little too late in the game is to approach conversations when advocating for music therapy with honey and not vinegar. But I think our default to feel respected is to show our knowledge and to hold firm that we are the expert and the most intelligent and being confident in that and knowing yourself can be a way around that. But I think when I was a young clinician, I went into rooms and environments trying to show how knowledgeable I was first and how evidence-based music therapy was and talk about the protocols and really fight from that perspective. And it sounds like Courtney, that's something your work does as well, that there's there's a big fight to prove level of intelligence versus open dialogues for mutual respect. Yes, definitely. Yeah. And that's, <clears throat> that's a great way of phrasing it. I mean, ABA is a heavily researched back science. And so, you know, one of the things that we were, we're always taught in schools is that, you know, we're the, the interventions that we're using, they're science-based, they're research-based. And so that we know they're great, you know, we know that they're going to be successful with um, whoever we utilize them with, if it's an appropriate fit or not. And so in collaborating with other providers, you know, we were kind of taught, and this might be not the most like ethical way of wording it, but we were taught to essentially like question other people's interventions because we know that ours is heavily science and research backed, right? So we know that ours is great. Ours is fantastic. Ours is going to be successful. And so when we're working on a team, 
we also, all of us, every single person on this team of this client individual, we have a responsibility to that client to make sure that we're taking the best care of them as possible. And so that gives, you know, I think all of us, not even ABA providers, that gives all of us the right to kind of question what other people are doing and the interventions that they are using. Again, we're working on a team. We're trying to do the best due diligence for this this client. And so in current current times, and I would just say in general, most other providers don't like working with behavior analysts or people on an EBA team because historically we are known to pretty much dominate, you know, <laughs> by being, you know, rude for lack of a better word. And so yeah, yeah. I have like personally really tried to change that because I have gone in and collaborated with uh, speech and OT with a lot of my clients and, you know, some of them, like I can just tell right off the bat, they don't want me to be there. Why are you reaching out to me? All this stuff. And so it's off-putting to me because what I'm trying to do is just take care of my client. But at the same time, like I recognize that this is a, a, a problem in our field. And so, yeah. you know, I always try to do my best to, you know, build that relationship first. I'm never going to go in and bulldoze what anybody else is doing, right? I might be questioning it in the back of my head. And eventually I might get to the point where I feel like we have that mutual respect that we've been, as we've been talking about. And then I can lay it out there. Hey, you know, I noticed on the treatment plan that you were using, you know, XYZ intervention. Can you outline, you know, what that looks like for me or like why you chose that one? Yeah. And then I'm again, listening to the other therapist trying to understand their viewpoint because I I have a pretty solid foundation on what, you know, my viewpoint is coming in and working with this client. And so then once they've done that, I feel like I can step in and explain, you know, from my perspective. And then there's that mutual collaboration that's already happened, whether or not we're going to stop or discontinue an intervention that one or another is doing, like we were still able to lay that groundwork of understanding why each other is doing what they're doing, building that mutual respect. And there's no, you know, bulldozing or hard feelings happening because then nobody gets like our client is getting hurt, right? Like, because we're not working together. So yeah, that's why (laughs) could be so many different reasons, right? If the why could be, they don't want to be working on that goal either, but maybe parent has requested it and you don't even know that parent was wanting to work on that. And then you're like, oh, okay. So we need to, maybe the two of us need to have a meeting with the parent. You and I are on the same page that this may not be the most purposeful and meaningful intervention for this client. Let's, can we all three get together and talk about what we're seeing and what else we could work on, right? Opening those lines. And even if you completely disagree there's also respect there of, okay, I'm, I'm using this approach and here's why. And you're using, you told me you're using this approach and here's why. Great. We're going to maybe just keep doing our separate things on this one. Yeah. And yeah. they may also both benefit the client because it's different paths up a hill to success. Yes. And one may be more efficient than the other, mm-hmm. but having those conversations is so key. And we mm-hmm. talked about yes. in our neuroaffirming care too, which I think was really focused also on family-centered care of 
I always talk to parents. I feel like Mm -hmm. therapists are afraid to ask parents when something's going on because they're worried about being respected, that they're supposed to be the expert. They should solve the problem. And I do see parents on social media groups say like, no other therapist is able to help with this and we're at a loss. And that, that could be true, right? A lot of, a lot of things we don't have every answer to, Mm -hmm. Uh, but going to the source of someone who knows their child better than anyone, except for the child themselves can tell me, Hey, I'm seeing this in sessions and it's really out of the blue. Has something changed? Are there new sensory things we need to be looking at? Like, let's sit and have a meeting and talk and collaborate And 100% of the time in my practice, when we've set those meetings, it has been a positive response and not parents going, you're, you know, that, that I think the fear we have is parents are going to say you're stupid, right? Make us feel dumb that we don't know the answer and never ever has that happened. Parents have always been like, oh, well, you know, this thing. And we're like, you know, we didn't know that thing about your child and thank you for telling us. And that's going to make all of the difference. So sometimes well, what, also it sounds like, humility. but what I'm, what I'm hearing, yeah, is yeah. from, from you both is that while someone, a, a client themselves, a family, a, an organization will reach out to you for ABA or you to music there for music therapy, recognizing that you are the expert, the respect comes from humanizing the fact that you are an expert and a human Yes. By saying, yes, I am the person facilitating the therapy, but your input matters to me and your input influences the therapy that I do. So you are then creating respect when they feel the therapy is happening with them, right? I've talked about this a million times. Therapy should happen with someone, not to them. So I think that you create an environment of respect when dialogue is prioritized, recognizing that dialogue can be supportive and productive. It can also be constructive and productive in, in both scenarios, productive is the shared word there. And I think that while it is amazing that Alyssa has had such huge success in having positive, (laughs) constructive conversations, right. With, with client families, sometimes in a bunch of aspects with fellow colleagues, with clients, with families, with administrators, you can do everything quote unquote, right. Yes. You can ask the questions. You can be humble, like Alyssa is saying. You can ask questions from a place of humility and demonstrate that humility in your actions. For whatever reason, the person on the other end just may not be receptive to that, right? Sure. Yep. <clears throat> we can yep. sit there and rack our brains and go on this, this spiral, <laughs> right? Like, it's me. It's me. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. Sometimes we have to find peace in recognizing yes. we have exhausted every possible effort and we're not going to achieve resolution. Yes. I think what happens when we don't achieve resolution and we don't let that just be as it is when we continue to try and we, and we push yeah. and we want to ask more questions or we become personally offended, that's when things lose an air of respect. I truly believe you cannot see eye to eye and still have respect for each other. But where that goes awry is when you have recognized we're not in the same place yeah. and additional talk happens without those people. Right. When uh, sure. we get yeah. into like gossip territory. So it's, yes. yeah. I want to be really clear that respect can look a lot of different ways and you can be someone who 
values respect and have that be a huge part of who you are. And you still may not receive that from someone else. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 100%. That's a great point. And I would say the, the 100% success has been with like families who we have established open lines of communication and connection with where we're saying, Hey, we need support, right? We need that comfort of those discussions with other clinicians. Absolutely not a hundred percent success rate because there's also maybe a baseline of assumption that's counter to what Courtney's people are saying. I think we're taught in music therapy that we need to go in prepared to advocate and educate on what we do. Cause most people presume we are pseudoscience and we're kind of, yes. you know, undereducated <laughs> and those kind of things. Right. So you're always prepared to go to bat for yourself. And I think that's more the perspective too, of like respecting that, you can approach this without a, f- a fight up front that we can mm-hmm. educate and advocate and ask for what we need. And it's so interesting because music therapy is also an evidence-based practice that's based mm-hmm. in science. My approach is neuroscience. And I find it really frustrating to hear that as a culture in general, ABA is saying we are the best and we are these things. And I challenge BCBAs listening if that is how you feel too. And I'm not saying there's not instances where maybe an intervention or protocol you're doing is the best because it could be, but Mm -hmm. to challenge the way we're viewing research, research is done as someone who is now a researcher, Mm -hmm. research is done in a completely isolated bubble. It is Mm -hmm. quite often not reproducible. When you're looking at the evidence base that makes up your work as a music therapist, as a BCBA, as an SLP, as an OT, What is the level of each study? Are they all level four longitudinal studies? Did we look at the after effects of that therapeutic care? How many people was it reproduced on? Quite often, the studies that that have given us enough credit to be an evidence-based practice are still low tier studies, quite often case studies that are not reproduced on a grand scheme. So then for someone to tell me that their science is the most efficient I, I want to then really dig into the research and say, what does that look like? How many different types of people? Was it all people who were assigned female at birth, assigned male at birth? Was it all people of one culture system versus another? What does that look like in the family structure? It's really hard for me to hear someone say, well, the research shows us. A lot of times that research isn't as comprehensive as we think it is, and specifically for ABA, a lot of that research is being disproven. So then for someone to say like, I'm standing by the science that was disproven. That's so hard. That's really, really hard. Um, And frustrating because research is just such an isolated thing that. Yes. Like I'm even trying to figure out how can I reproduce what my research is? And I don't know. It's so contingent on the qualified clinician, which is hard. Yeah. I mean, I, I also want to point out too, like the research is ever growing and ever developing, like something, yeah, that was done five years ago can be totally contradicted or something minor is tweaked and it made it even more successful. Like it's just like an evolution and it's never going to stop also. And right. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, a hundred percent. But to to know that they're saying our science is the best science. Yeah. said that who determined yeah. did you do comparison studies for every one of your protocols 
to compare is ABA more effective than an SLP protocol in this situation? Is there comparisons? Like if you're going to fax and data me, right? So I'm married yeah. to a fax and data person. If you're <laughs> gonna fa- not thoughts and feelings. We just had this conversation the other day. He's like, you're telling me thoughts and feelings. He's like, tell me the facts and data. You feel that way and you feel like it's true. You're right. You feel that way. But give me the data that shows me that it's true. And then- yeah. I don't want to boot, you know, boost his ego, but like 87% of the time he's right. It's my thoughts and feelings. And then I have to go aggregate the data to give him that information. But same when girl, someone same. is coming, same, right. same, same, same. Yeah. Are you also married to a nine wing one? <laughs> no, I'm married to a three wing, three wing one, three wing one, uh, two, three, two. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm married to a, a you, but I mean, I'm a three. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But not, no, he, he's a, he's a fact to numbers. I'm a, I'm a feelings. Yeah. Yeah. Right. If you're bringing me a fact that says this is better than everything else, then you better have all the facts as a whole industry. And that's right. And that's really hard. Like if they're telling you that in school that like come in, we're the best. I don't know. I need to see the number. Like I need to see comparison studies now on every protocol. Like that's an obscene statement. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Alyssa can appreciate someone with a lot of confidence. She sure can. I, I can. Yeah. I love the energy. <laughs> I will say, yes, behavior analysts are very confident, generally. So, yes, right. that All is right. the thing. Right. <laughs> well, like, confidence is an important part of the recipe of, of creating a culture where you can receive respect, but where I think it goes wrong is when that confidence is so one-sided and so stuck in its own perspective, not willing to have its own perspective shaped by other perspectives. You're exactly right. Yeah. You're exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. And but the same problem you're having is that problem, right? That people won't even come to the table to talk to you because they have their own perspective. They know it all. They're all set. They don't need your perspective. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I was sharing with Alyssa and Noah. um, I have, I don't know if I said this already, but I have worked with a few um, other providers who yet just didn't want to talk to me, didn't want to collaborate. One of them, I actually was able to kind of break down some walls because we were both really vulnerable with each other. It was a speech therapist and it was actually the most fantastic conversation I've ever had. She like straight up admitted, she was like, I really don't like working with ABA teams. I don't like working with behavior analysts. Mm-hmm. And then we kind of dug in and I was like, tell me like, why? Tell me about that. Like, what are your previous experiences? Like, I just want to know also, because I I know that this is a thing across the board. So like, explain that to me. And so I just kept reiterating to her because we had already, she came in working with this client two years after my team had started working with him. And so she knew that, you know, we obviously had a great relationship with him and his, his mom. Um, And she, you know, she knew that we had, you know, supported him in meeting a lot of his goals, which is great. And so we were able to come to a point where she started leaning on, on myself and my RBT for, you know, tips to have a most more successful speech session and it was beautiful it was just a beautiful (laughs) you know building of this relationship but that's not always the case like on the flip side I I collaborated with another speech therapist and we kind of like what Noah was saying like we weren't able to meet eye to eye and it was nothing that either one of us did it just 
we were not on the same wavelength and that's okay. And so, you know, we initially tried to collaborate. It didn't end up being successful. So we both kind of went our separate ways, continued to do what we were doing for the client. And, and that was that. But at least like we know we gave it a shot. And, you know, that was no, no harm to me, no harm to the, to the other clinician. And um, we knew that we were still doing best, what we felt was best by that client. And so, yeah, but it is, it is a thing. Yeah. But like, I feel like just preaching, like it doesn't hurt, like just at least try to have those conversations going in, you know, blank slate. And then if it doesn't work out, if that's okay, like also like Noah said, you were, you know, still able to have some sort of mutual respect there. You were willing to show up and have those conversations and it's okay to walk away. It's like this with any, any relationship in the whole world, right? Like I was going to say, respect respect is grounded in so many of those conflict resolution techniques. And I think a big part of, of recognizing when you're in a relationship or dynamic where respect is just not for whatever reason, going to be given and received on both ends recognizing what tools you have to draw from to, to end the conversation in a way where you can still feel, you know, I have done everything that I can, like we've talked about, and I'm leaving with an air of respect. You know, maybe it's something to the effect of, you know, you've offered a perspective that's really different from mine. And I really am glad that you felt comfortable sharing that with me. I'm going to take what you said and, and really reflect on it. For, for a while, I hope this is something we can revisit another time, right? It's a mm-hmm. nice way to kind of be really clear. I hear you. I'm receiving your information. It's different from clearly what I'm talking about here, but I'm also exiting this mm-hmm. dialogue or relationship because I put up, while we've been recording, I put up a, a poll on an Instagram story, actually, that said, hey, our topic is about, you know, fostering respect in, in your work and in your field. <laughs> Do you feel respected in your field and mm. everyone so far has said no where no. <laughs> yes I do sometimes and no it's a struggle so I think wow. I have a feeling that maybe some of the folks who are tuning in are really looking for like this is not only a challenge for me but what do I do when I realize we're not going to end in a place that I really hoped we would yeah and I think I think we go into a lot of situations across the board, presuming incompetence of the other therapists across the table. Yeah. And as I would suspect a lot of the people who responded might be music therapists, but I also think they might, from everything you're telling me, Courtney, they might be BCBAs too, of Mm -hmm. saying, I am assuming everyone hates me in every situation and there's going to be no respect there because they mm-hmm. dislike me. And then for music therapists, I think our presumption is they're going to think I'm a moron because they think mm-hmm. music therapy is a joke and yeah. anything can be a joke and anything can be not a joke. So it's, it's hard to say that every person you're going to meet at the table is going to have the same skill level. They may not, mm-hmm. but I think the biggest thing we have across the board is that presumption of incompetence of the other people. And that's really challenging and we also have a presumption of incompetence I think within our own fields that we assume most people we meet aren't gonna have the knowledge we have and the reality is no one has the knowledge I have because I am me that's fed by Mm -hmm. my lived experience and my passions and I also then don't have the knowledge that someone else has so I think we absolutely can genuinely say to people 
you've offered a really different perspective. I'm going to need some time to reflect on that because maybe eight times out of 10, I reflect on it and it still does not resonate with me at all. But maybe those two times you have shared something that I really have to sit and think on and go, Mm -hmm. oh, like what you have shared, Courtney, that shapes how I perceive every interaction I've had with the BCBA now, (laughs) that if their overarching people are saying this, it doesn't matter how many times I show them the evidence or show them the protocol. It doesn't matter. It has nothing to do with me. It has nothing Mm -hmm. to do with me. And you know, that's so healthy for me to know too, when I'm in a situation where it won't matter what I say and understanding that. That's a huge perspective shift Mm -hmm. and that my fight isn't with the person in front of me. It's with a system that's ingraining that mentality. Yep. And I think. And hold expectations for yourself. Yes. 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 Dynamic. Hold expectations for yourself. And like I said, stick to your values because at the end of the day, that's all you're going to have to fall back on. And you cannot control how someone else is going to feel or react to what you say, you can nope. control how you are going to react to what you yes. say and how you feel yes. about what yeah. you say. Yep. I think it's important to protect your peace in those conversations of if, if you're already going in feeling like you're not going to be respected, divvying up where that locus of control is. What, what are the things I have the power to influence here? And then recognizing when I don't. And I think maybe that's the shape-shifting from the beginning that I was talking about of maybe you don't have to change anything about yourself, but just recognizing where are the pathways to change here that are within my control and where are they not? And setting that sphere of control around centered around your piece as well of, okay, I can only give so much here then if this is what's within my control and you're only going to be willing to receive so much because that's what you're viewing as within your control. Yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But if you guys are looking for some resources to, yeah, I was going to say in the meantime, if you're looking for some resources, there are um, some really great psychologists or therapists who have become authors and kind of pivoted in that direction. There's one in particular, I've likely mentioned her in past episodes. Her name is Nedra Tawab, and we can put her information in the um, show notes. She writes... (laughs) She, she, a lot of her work, I would say, is centered around this idea of having a firm sense of your self-identity to the angle of setting boundaries for yourself that are manageable and sustainable and help to create and cultivate positive relationships. While I don't think that I would necessarily say fostering respect is tied directly to boundary work, I think it's the same type of headspace though. Um, so if, if you're looking for just like really tangible publications, I love the way that she writes. It's really accessible. You do not have to be a therapist to understand what she's talking about. <clears throat> and she also pairs a lot of her books with workbooks. I actually found that when I bought one of her books and I got the workbook as well, I was more engaged with the workbook than I was with the book because I'm someone who likes to actually say, okay, what are we talking about now? Let's do it. And that's how I gain my own personal understanding. I'm very like hands-on and experiential. So um, this is not a, <laughs> I'm not getting any money by promoting <laughs> Nedra, but <laughs> I, do, I do think her stuff is so far to get no money for awesome. anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's, and that's okay. But I, I, right. I'm saying that just to say like, this is truly something that has resonated with me. 
<coughs> excuse me. Um, and if you're just like, this is really heady, I don't really know where to take it from here. Some of these concrete resources might help to kind of put you on a path and guide you a little bit better. Yeah. I know I don't have anything specific, but I have attended, seen and attended numerous CEU um, events that are specifically talking about collaborating with other providers. Um, I've seen some in isolation, you know, BCBA is collaborating with PT, BCBA is collaborating with speech. Um, so know that those are, are definitely out there as well. And I think... <clears throat> Most providers like do want to collaborate. I just think they, some of them don't know how, including our, like our own fields. Like we, I don't think BCBA is really, um, I'm saying this generally, but some of them don't know how to collaborate um, yeah. or they don't feel like they need to. Um, so definitely worth exploring if you see any of those CEU events, um, looking for those and, and attending to them because they're, incredibly beneficial. And we do have a series coming up on the podcast over the summer, probably while Noah's on maternity leave, where we're going to do episodes with people that we do quite often collaborate with SLPs, OTs, uh, PTs, social workers, all of these different spheres to talk about what does this look like and maybe how to open those dialogues and where do we overlap where are we very different? I think one of the hardest things in these approaches when we're approaching collaborative conversations too is that that overlap is viewed across the board in all professions. That overlap of skill work is often viewed as a problem. That someone says, well, I work on that, so you don't work on that because that's yeah. within my scope of practice. I love that you brought that up. And I think the hard thing is with both ABA and music therapy, our scope of practice is very, very, very broad. Yes. I think the biggest difference that's so funny and like, I'm like, I, I kind of wish the energy ABA was having was coming to music therapy because yeah. the way it's viewed in music therapy is a deficit. No, and I was like, no, I'm like, no, 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 no. And I'm not saying that way, but <laughs> that music therapy, we're taught like, well, you're a little bit of everything. So you're not vital and useless. Noah's like, Oh, I know what you mean now. Um, it, we're, we're taught that like we are a complementary therapy because our overlap is in so many different broad scopes. Mm -hmm. Whereas ABA who's overlapping with so many different broad scopes is taught that they are in fact superior to all the other ones. Yeah, I think both thought enough. processes are incorrect that you're not seeing my hands listeners, but I have one down at the bottom of the screen, <laughs> one at the top of the screen, right? So music therapy's down here going, we are worthless little, you know, just complementary therapies, blah, ha, 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 which is untrue. And then we've so got ABA saying, right, we do everything and we're the best at all of it, which like also can't be true, right? There's no, no way it can literally be true. We have no. to be in the middle of we are operating through a different lens, through different protocols, through different approaches. For music yeah. therapists, we're looking at the brain-body impact of music and music. musical cues. And that's why we can support all of these areas. And then whatever that knowledge is for ABA as well, of we're overlapping here. And that's amazing because we're empowering the brain to learn skills in a different way that can either be more efficient for that person or help them wire quicker because multiple people are practicing the same thing and they're doing it in a way that it looks different. So they're having to generalize across modalities. How great is that, that we're yes. overlapping? Not a it's deficit. Fantastic. How no. wonderful. 
Right. But the conversations in collaboration quite often get stopped and we feel that disrespect because they go, oh, well, we work on that. Yeah, Yeah, you totally do. And here's what that looks like in music therapy. I can bet we're working on it in two different ways that, okay, maybe we do disagree on that approach and that's okay. We can respectfully disagree, but maybe the way I'm working at it's awesome and the way you're working on it's awesome. And it's both impacting the client in a positive developmental way. Yeah. So yeah. But I think it it comes back to what we talked about, which is respect is grounded in humility, right? I think that (laughs) humility doesn't have to be a tool that you only demonstrate or, or is a thought that guides what you say. I think you can also incorporate that into your dialogue and say something to the effect of, you know, I'm feeling like we are both trying our best to create an environment where we preserve respect, but I'm a little concerned that we're losing sight of that. Let's, can can we try this a different way, right? Verbalize what you are thinking out loud. Bring that to their attention. If you're using we, us language, I think that humility is also grounded in taking ownership of your stake yes. in this dynamic, right? Yeah. <clears throat> so much of <clears throat> the work that I try to do when I'm navigating conflict resolution, even amongst, you know, my my team or my employees is I really try to find that balance of owning my my stake and when when something has gone wrong, when someone has not felt good about an interaction that we've had. Because I think that when you genuinely and authentically come from a place of I want to I want to build here, right? I want to have this this air of respect, that comes with me recognizing my part in it too, and that we both have to be actively contributing. I think our biggest mistake is when we don't verbalize that out loud, when we're feeling like respect is being compromised, even if it's the other person who you you truly feel is, is fully re- responsible for the feeling of disrespect, approaching it from a we dynamic creates that non-threatening right, right. reciprocity so you can engage and grow together. Yeah. yeah. I feel like I love that you said that too, Noah, because I feel like... M- like myself included, I forget how important that is, like outlining your thoughts <laughs> and feelings, like just in an open dialogue. I, I feel like most of us like aren't like nobody has modeled that for us, for a lot of us. And so I think that that's so incredibly important. Like, yeah, I need to do that more. And again, so. you can say everything right. You can do all of that. You can verbalize it. Yes. And that person can still leave with a really different perception of yep. the conversation. Yeah. All you have to go off of is how you felt and how you handled it. And and yep. you're doing truly everything you can. Yep. Yes. And I think a tip too, as we kind of wrap things up of having those conversations, like Noah said, with a spouse or a partner or a close friend, also having those conversations maybe with other therapists that you've crossed paths with that you really enjoy talking to, and you're maybe already totally in alignment and don't share clients with just talking about your clinical work, right? I spend a lot of my time now running my company of networking with people that we don't even work with and just saying, here's what we do. Here's what music therapy is, educating and advocating on it and having those conversations because that person 
could create space to have respect for the future music therapists that come to them. So also maybe having some of those proactive conversations with people who are open to hearing them, who can then share them eventually down the line that we're all sort of planting this seed of work as well and having which it is a, a great example yeah yeah and, and you feel so you're much nicer it, again it's coming back to what we also talked about it's an exchange without expectation yes you're just yes. talking for the sake of talking yes. and hey guess what yes. you're getting some great experience from it <laughs> yeah. you're, you're flexing yeah. those muscles you're practicing and maybe something comes out of it maybe it doesn't cool you still still a learning opportunity two thumbs up yeah well hopefully some of these strategies can be helpful for you as you approach those conversations and have more confidence in yourself and also understanding of maybe how other people are coming to the table so that you can have those constructive conversations and productive conversations. And if not, Noah's got great phrases in here that you can use to end those so that you feel like you're walking away with respect, but with also the peace that you need. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we'll post some more resources, but for now. We'll post the resources. We'll get some things, but for now. Bye. Thanks for listening to Coffee and Thera Tea. Keep the conversation flowing and follow us over on Instagram at Coffee and Thera Tea. Questions, thoughts, ideas? Email us, coffeeandtherapy at gmail.com. We can't wait for you to listen in again soon.